Hey everybody, this is Mike from the One Take VC podcast. We talk to founders in emerging markets. Today we have Diego Rojas on the podcast. Diego is the founder of Pasanaku. Pasanaku is a fintech company solving for financial access in Bolivia and Peru by digitizing informal savings clubs. Welcome, Diego. Hi, Mike. Thanks for the invitation. I'm really looking forward to talk more about emerging markets and what we are building with Pasanaku. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on. Super excited. So, I mean, these informal savings clubs, the, they're called rotating savings and credit associations. Essentially, what your app does is allows users to manage their informal savings club and then connects them with additional benefits. So normally what I do on the pod is we talk about the origin story of the founder and, and the origin story of the business. But in your case, I think it's really important that people understand what is this ROSCA, what is this rotating savings and credit association. Um, they're really common around the world, actually, but at the same time, they're quite niche. If you're out of those markets, you don't know, you don't know necessarily about them. So before we talk yeah. about Pasanaku itself, let's talk about ROSCA. So what's a ROSCA and what's exciting about ROSCAs in emerging markets? Amazing. So ROSCA is the acronym for Rotating Savings and Credit Associations. Mm -hmm. And as you said, these are groups of, of associations of people in which these people who usually have like uh, some kind of relationship between them, they can either be friends or family or colleagues of work, they decide to save money together. So I'm going to give you an example of how this works. Let's say like me and you plus three other friends, we decide that we want to save money together. We want to create a ROSCA group. So the five of us decide that we want to save $100 every month, each one of us. So on the first month, each one of us will be putting $100 to a common pool of money. That, that is $500, right? So those $500 will go to me on the first month. On the second month, according to a lottery or according to, I don't know if we come to, to an agreement, those $500 are going to go to you, Mike. On the third month, each one of us is going to put $100 again to a common pool and that money is going to go to a third person. On the fourth month to a fourth person and on the fifth month to a fifth person. So at the end, everyone is receiving the same amount of money that they put to this Rosca group. The thing is that for me, for the person who receives the money at the beginning, it's like getting a free loan because I'm getting $500 right. times zero and I'm mm. just paying $100 every month. And for the person who receives the money at the end, I mean, you will think that it doesn't really make sense for him because he will rather, he will be better if he puts his money on the bank. But the thing is that because you are saving money with your friends and your family, you have extra social pressure that you cannot stop saving money. Because if you cannot say, okay, it's December and I have spent so much money on, on presents, so I'm not going to save money this month. Because your friends depend on you saving money. So actually, most of the people who use Rosca as a way of saving money, they do it because Rosca helps them achieve their saving goals. And that's why Rosca is really important. It's not only about the, the economic benefit that you get out of it, but it's also about the community sense, like feeling that you are helping your friends and your friends are helping you. And as you said, this is a practice that is pretty common in more than 70 different countries all around the world. Actually, 20% of the, of the people in the whole world save through Rosca. Oh, wow. And they do it in an informal way. I mean, this is, to, to me, it's incredible. I mean, I've heard about this before. We've talked about Roscas before, but uh, I love the way you put that there, that essentially these Roscas are quite popular in, in emerging markets when you have underdeveloped banking systems for, for sort of, for micro savings, micro, micro credit. And in particular, what they seem to be doing is using social pressure or the social capital of the club mm -hmm. to encourage uh, positive behavior with respect to repayment and savings and contributions to the pool. And then 
uh, we're going to get to it, but but what I what I think is really fascinating about the Pasanaku model is that you're it's not that you're only digitizing the club's uh, activities; you're creating a data trail around that social pressure, that social capital, yeah. and then turning that into uh, a ladder to get into access to finance because you can you can credit score the 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 repayment on the circle. You can even just kind of score how well they're contributing. So something that would otherwise be happening informally through social capital, social pressure, in your words, you're you're putting a data trail to it and making it really useful to that customer. I think that's that's something that I think people need to understand about Roscas because they're so, so common. 70 countries around the world, 20% of the world's population contributing to something that looks like a rotating savings club. And and actually, weirdly, you know, me and you have talked about this. Sometimes you say Rosca, and people are like, "What's a Rosca?" <laughs> it's like, well, it's it's, credi- it's incredibly yeah. popular around the world. Um, so that's 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 a really good introduction, right? Um, so that's what's exciting about Roscas. Uh, but but you noticed there, you you noted rather that you're 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 not stopping there. You're not just thinking about it. Of of yes, we're we're, we're digitizing Roscas. You're talking about financial access. This is just a mechanism yeah. for you to solve for it. Um, so what is the size of that financial access problem in Latin America in, in your starting market? So I think Latin America might be similar to other developing economies all around the world. So like people who are listening to this podcast may relate to what I'm going to say. But Latin America is a continent where 60 to 70% of the economy is informal, uh, where 20, 40% of the people still do not have a bank account. So there is a lot of uh, unbanked people in Latin America. And then access to, to credit is, is, is really bad. Only 20% or less have access to a credit card and microloans for like the poorest people in the, in the continent, uh, their interest rate ranges between 40 to up to 100% yearly interest rate. So this is a That's huge crazy, burden for, 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 for people, right? And when we talk about Rosca, um, it's, as I said, it's 20% of Latin Americans who use Rosca as a way of saving money. Uh, they spend up to 20% of their monthly income on these on, on these rotating clubs. So it's a big percentage of their monthly income. And then it's a market, I mean, money that is moved through Rosca in Latin America, it's around $150 billion every year. So there is a huge opportunity there. Rosca, as you said, Rosca is already working. I mean, 20% of people are already saving money to Rosca. So we are not trying to solve any issue with Rosca. What we are doing, as you said, is, we are trying to digitize that information to make use of all of these payments that people are doing through them and then use that information to help them get access to other financial services. Our goal is, for example, I don't know, Mike, uh, as Mike uh, is an informal worker, so you don't have... He's uh, an informal uh, informal podcaster with no salary. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You have no salary. No uh, salary. Yeah. You, you are a student, so you don't have uh, mm-hmm. a collateral. You don't have a house. You mm-hmm. don't have a um a car but you, you as you are an informal podcaster you may have like some some income every once in a while so with pasanaku with pasanaku what we think we can do is that if you start if you save money on the rosca group we're going to be able to like sell a bank or even we're going to be able to realize that you might don't have a collateral don't have a job as we said but you have been saving 100 dollars every month for six months without making without missing a single payment and without being delayed more than one day in your payment so that's information that is really useful for you and that's going to help us understand how good of a payer you are and we're going to be able like to offer you access to a better interest rate on a micro 
And this is huge because we are talking about, as I said, informal people, uh, and usually informal people are like middle to low income people. And this is the, the, the people who, who need it the most, who need like access to insurance, access to buy an open letter, or access to microloans the most in Latin America. And we are trying to get to there. And we are trying to get to them through something that they already know and, and trust, which is Rosca. We are not just another digital bank who go to the people and they and said, we know what's best for you. And you need to like mm, get right. get this credit card and get and open this bank account with us. We are trying to build on top of something that people already know and trust because in that way we can start gaining the trust. We can start presenting us to them as just another colleague, another friend, not as a financial institution. And then we can start like talking to them about other financial services such as insurance, like opening the bank account or like in, eventually investing in, in different things. So the idea is that if we gain their trust, we're going to be able to offer them access to other financial services as well. Yeah, I mean, I love this. You, you talk about trust and, and you talked about partnerships there. So let's yeah. let's jump ahead and we're going to we're going to move around, you know, in, in the interview to different topics. But we'll jump ahead more to the present because uh, you mentioned banks there and you're, you're, you mentioned getting people onto, uh, you know, the access to finance ladder. You're not trying to reinvent the wheel. You're bringing a traditional practice and, and digitizing it, or rather, sorry, you're not bringing the practice. You're you're digitizing an existing traditional practice that has a lot of trust in these communities, in developing markets, in emerging markets, and then you're you're kind of partnering with banks uh, to get them onto a formal financial access ladder um, by by leveraging the data that you're collecting. So so how have you how have you exactly. approached partnerships? You I know you're in Bolivia now. That's where we, where you started. Diego, you're from Bolivia, and then the company started there, and now you've also branched out to Peru. Um, how have you thought about partnerships as a way to uh, to scale in Bolivia, and then also now to expand over into Peru? Yeah, okay, that's a that's a great question. And actually, at this uh, right now, we are a startup that is uh, operating in, in Bolivia, as you said, as we are. But the thing is that we are not a financial institution, so we are not allowed to like provide loans or we are not allowed to, I don't know, do many of the things that only a financial institution do. And it's really, really expensive and difficult to get a license. So we thought that what we are doing is we are getting people's data and that's what's important to us. And that's what's important to people as well. In this case, the first partnership that we that we had was with, with the largest bank in Bolivia, with Banco Sol. And we are million people in Bolivia and they have uh, 1 million users. So it's a really big and interesting bank. And we integrated our platform with their platform. So the idea is that they can offer Pasanaku, what we are doing with Pasanaku as an extra benefit for their users because they realize that most of their users do have this informal saving class. Even if they have a bank account, they still like save money informally through this informal saving class. So they are uh, offering this benefit to their users as an extra benefit, and they are starting to get to gain their data. So they are starting to get access to their data, and eventually that's going to help them like understand uh, how they can like better provide microloans or, or financial services to them. And what's interesting to us is that it it is helping us understand how the Bolivian user um, is going to behave uh, on on the app. And it's also uh, it, it's also like a software as a service business for us. So with this bank, we are like, as I said, integrating our platform with their platform, and we are also like doing a B two C business on the side we, where we like go directly to users. But at this point, what we are doing is like we getting as you as you said like people's data, and then with that data, we're gonna connect them to I don't know someone who can provide them with an insurance with a life insurance, or someone who can provide them with microloans. Or someone who can like providing and helping them like open a bank account. So 
So eventually we want to like, we, we eventually want to become a, a financial institution, but that's not like the medium to long term. At this moment, it's all about like, let's pilot these different things. And the easiest way for us to pilot these things is through different partnerships. So because these pilots are going like, to help us understand what people really need and which is the way, best way for us to get to people and to gain their trust. So that's why we are looking at partnerships as an interesting way for us uh, that it's going to help us like understand how our, what our users want from us. And that's going to bring us like more like into what we need to do in the, in, into the future. Yeah, I think it's, it's this, this word trust keeps coming up, right? And I think you, you, yeah. you're basically leveraging the social capital that, that is already there and the social pressure that's already there, putting a data layer on top of it. And then, then you're acting in two ways in your partnerships, it sounds like. And the first way that you're acting is that you are enhancing the banking experience for existing customers that are with mm -hmm. banks. So the banks recognize that people are already saving through Roskers and you're enhancing their customer service almost through this data layer that you can put on top of the Roskers that are already there. Yeah. But the other really interesting thing that you said there is that you act as a customer acquisition channel for these traditional financial institutions, because mm -hmm. not only are you putting a data layer on top of their existing customers, Roskers, which adds value for them, but also you're saying, once you have that data layer, you understand their customer, you know, their customer. So, you know, KYC, and you can refer them to other financial products that you don't provide yourself, but you can refer them on to providers. And so this customer acquisition angle is really interesting in terms of yeah. growth. Yeah, that's super fascinating. And we're also approaching customer acquisition with, with retailers because we have done more than at this point, I will get like 1000 interviews to our users. And we've been asking them, what do you usually use your Rosca money for? And they've told us, I mean, we usually, I don't know, buy like um, a television or I like to buy like, I don't know, buy tickets for my family or I like to like buy something for, for, for my kids. So we are partnering with those retailers, with people, uh, businesses who can offer our users like those products and services. And because we are giving them like new users that are able like to offer them a product or a service with a discount. So we are getting like new users for these retailers, for these businesses. And for our users, we are getting them like discounts on the products and services that you, they would usually buy uh, on the Rosca group. But we, if they start using our platform, which is Pasanaku, it's going to like bring them extra benefits. I mean, that's great. So not only thinking about now one one uh, partner, but you're talking about another partner, you're talking about this this retailer angle that that presumably there, one of the problems is that people don't have access to credit, right? And so if they can't mm -hmm. access credit, and you talked about the prohibitively high interest rates that traditional micro lenders are offering over like the annual, the APR is so prohibitive. So they're locked out of credit. They're already using savings clubs to, to save with social capital being the pressure why they repay uh, the loan into the circle. Digitize that with a data layer, partner with banks, but not only that, now partner with retailers, right? So someone selling a fridge or a TV or yep. some of these consumer electronics goods, you're acting as a customer acquisition channel for them as well, potentially, and you're still exploring this, right? Diego, you're, you're early stage, you're looking at these, these different opportunities, but you can say, we can bring you a customer for the fridge or for the TV because we can provide them with access to credit through, through their Rosca. So, so a lot of different uh, plugs into the ecosystem, which, which is always, always a really interesting, uh, you know, uh, approach to look at, to look at your ecosystem and how you can plug into it. Um, so just jumping around a little bit more, but we've, we've, we've talked, we've talked about the, the sort of the, the high level of what the Rosca is. We've talked about the size of the market. Um, and we, you know, we talked a little bit about Roscas being, being, uh, you know, global. 
Um, let's talk about the MVP because you pushed out the MVP, I think, uh, a couple of years ago. Um, what was the process like building that first product? And then how did you iterate on it with your customers to, to, to find a fit? Did you get it right straight away or did you learn something in that early process? Like, how was that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I'm a mechatronics engineer. And before coming to, to Oxford to do my, my MPP and MBA, I was working as a software engineer for three years in Italy. So it was while I was in my last year in Italy that I was learning how to code uh, at my job. They were telling, uh, teaching me how to code a mobile app, like front end, back end. And I decided to like to use this, this thing, this, this learnings that I was getting on the morning and on the afternoon, you know, like to code something for myself in, at night. And right about then, with my co-founder, we decided that we wanted to give it a go to this idea of Fasanaku. So I started coding the app myself. And it took me uh, like one year or so to like fully develop the app. And once we launched the app, we realized that we were not getting like really good feedback. And after like asking us ourselves why, and after like asking more questions to people, we realized that I basically coded an app that I wanted to see for how I use Roska myself. And my customers, the people that we are trying to reach, as I explained to you, they, they, they don't look like me. I mean, they don't go to Oxford, first of all. Right. Uh, they have like, um, they have like different, different needs. So a, a regular user will be someone who only have like secondary education. They haven't gone to, to the university. As I said, they are informal workers, so they don't have a salary. Um, they belong to a family. Um, they may have a smartphone, but they don't have an iPhone 12, they, an iPhone 11. They have an, a smartphone that allows them to like have Facebook and WhatsApp and that's it. So we needed at that point to like rechange, like totally change the app that we, that we have created because people didn't care about how nice the colors were, like how many different options you have there, but they wanted like something simple, something that was like really clear and that did it take them much time to learn how to use it. So it was a great experience and we are still learning. I mean, even though we launched like the second version of the app, we are still getting like a lot of feedback from our users and we are still like working on how can we like make it feel better, make it feel useful for our users. So everything that we do now is not based on what we think is gonna be good for the users, but we actually, as I said, we, we go out there, we ask our users what they want and we implement this based on what they are telling us. Yeah, I mean, this story is uh, is so so aged uh, in that sense of like, who do you build for? And we know you're supposed to build for the customer, but we get really excited and we build for ourselves. Um, or another yeah. way to put it is, we get a, we get obsessed with the solution and we don't get obsessed with the problem. Um, and and what's refreshing is to hear uh, someone that's still in an early enough stage where you're still figuring out your your kind of product market fit in in these markets yeah. of peru and bolivia um you're still considering your partnerships with retailers with banks you're you're positioning yourself in the ecosystem but to hear you also look at and say look we built the product for ourselves and then we had to pivot and find uh feedback from our customers as exactly. to why we we know the problems there you know the pains there right we talked about access to finance being a problem we talked about roskas being a traditional practice that are that's really embedded in the culture but you had built something that was kind of approaching the problem from the wrong direction, that it was too complicated or serving needs that you had and going back and talking to your customer. It takes a lot yeah. of humility to do that, right, Diego? And I think 
Um, well, you, you can get super excited. It took yeah, you a while. It took us a while to accept <laughs> that we were doing it wrong. And also, it, when we talk about how we were communicating our benefits to, to our users, I mean, as I said, people did not perceive that Rosca was not working. I mean, they have already been saving money on Rosca, so they didn't perceive what was the benefit of like learning how to use a new platform in order to do Rosca's with us instead of like keep doing it the way they were doing it before. So it took us a while to understand how we, we how we should communicate all of the benefits that we are doing for them. And once again, we had to go out there and ask them uh, about like their experiences and what they wanted to see in Rosca. And we also like needed to understand that even the words matter. If you go to uh, someone in, in La Paz or if you go to someone in Santa Cruz, they may not be able like to get the benefits in the same way. And even how you present it, I mean, uh, an image is different if you put a per like a person there or, or a video is different if you put like someone's voice over like, I don't know, someone else's voice. So there's a lot of learning and it took us a while to understand that we, we are not Steve Jobs. I mean, it's not that we have the iPhone and we're going to teach people uh, how to like the iPhone, but it's the other way around. I mean, our users are the one like teaching us what we need to do for them. Yeah, I mean, I like um, just to tie a connection there with something that you said, you talked about different districts in Bolivia, and I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying to to pronounce properly the places you could make fun of me later, Diego, but I'm going to draw, draw a connection there to the global and the local that at the global level, there's Roscas in, in 70 countries. And, you know, I looked up a few of them and some major markets that we look at. There's uh, there's they call them Adashe or Ajo or Aho. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but in Nigeria they call them Chamas in East Africa and Kenya and Tanzania. Uh, Gamias in Egypt. They're in Asia as well. They're called Arizan, I think, in Indonesia and Vizis in India. So that there's there's all sorts of different ways that these roskas work, and there's a different language around them. Literally a different language because they're different places in the world, but also a different language around how these committees are formed and the clubs operate. And then to draw a connection there to you, you're talking about even at the local level, the way that you present this 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 product to your customers inside Bolivia and now certainly now between Bolivia and Peru, uh, it matters a lot, um, right? So I think in, in Bolivia, for example, Pasanaku is the name of the rotating savings clubs, but in Peru, yeah. it's it's called something else. In Peru, I think it's called Tandas, right? No, that's in Mexico. Panderos? Panderos in Peru? Yeah. Panderos. Yeah. So there's there's a different language around it. And then sure. there's also different cultural practices of savings and, and consumers are different. Cons customers are different. So hearing you yeah, say, cool. even at the local level within Bolivia, you're trying to figure out like, how do we communicate to our customers mm -hmm. is, is, is in this early stage, it's really important and you're, you're being really reflective of it. So we've heard that with some founders in Nigeria as well is like, there are differences between Lagos and other, other areas of Nigeria. And we've heard it as well in, uh, in, in Singapore, looking at parts of Southeast Asia, if you're trying to be regional and you're trying to scale, you have to pay attention to what are the differences in customer preferences. Totally. Yeah. And once again, I mean, the, the word trust come to my, come to my mind because as you said, what's most important for us is to gain people's trust. And we are working on something that is like culturally connected to people. So we cannot just like, uh, just go to Mexico and use the same app that we have been using in Bolivia, but we need to go to Mexico, uh, talk to people, understand which are like different ways in which like they use their, their Rosca groups, like uh, why is it useful for them? Like, which are the words that they use in order to communicate amongst them? Because we need to, we want to present ourselves as something that is not just another bank. It's not just like 
we are copying this bank to, uh, into a different country with the, I don't know, the Uber for Latin, for Latin America or the Uber for, for Peru. But we are trying to connect like culturally to people. We need them to see us as partners. So that's why, as you said, uh, when we think about the scaling, we see it as a big challenge because it's not just about like doing it again, but it's like doing it from zero basically because we like, need to like rethink everything that we've, that we've done in Bolivia if we eventually want to go to, to Peru or to Mexico. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great question around is trust scalable, right? Like you, you need a brand, you need a recognition, you need mm -hmm. partnerships. You talked about partnerships that you put to, put in place to move into Peru. Um, but you can't just turn up in a new market and say, here's an app and it's going to work, right? And even the big companies fail. Um, you know, you mentioned Uber there. Uber tried to move into to the MENA region and they had real trouble and they had local competitors that did really well because they competed with a culturally relevant approach. I think I think it was Kareem is the good example in that market that, uh, that now obviously is folded in uh, with Uber. But culture matters and customer preferences matter and, and trust is not just automatically scalable you have to think through who is your customer and keep thinking that through it's not just in those early stages you have to keep doing it as you move um you mentioned earlier so let's jump jump to another topic i'm conscious of the time i always try to try to have these casual chats and get through as much as we can um you mentioned your co-founders so i want to give you you know an opportunity to talk about them as well um so we've got we've got ignacio yara and johnny um are part of the co-founding team um how did how did you guys meet you know what's your origin story with that group of people and and something i always try to ask is what are they what are you grateful for in them you know they obviously complete the team here and they they help you be successful so what what are the, what is it that they bring to the table in terms of their superpowers to make the company successful amazing thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about my co-founders without them i mean perhaps like you wouldn't be what it is right now and also because I'm doing my, my MBA right now, so I'm, I'm working part-time. And it's the rest of my team who is back in Bolivia, like working on the day-to-day -day operations and making, a, making it, they are making sure that we are moving towards what we want to achieve in the future. So I met, uh, we initially uh, started Pasanaku with, with Ignacio, the two of us. Uh, Pasanaku, uh, Ignacio is way younger than me. He just finished his undergrad degree. He just graduated like one month ago, I think. And we met while I was studying in the U.S. He went to the U.S. for a robotics competition, and I was—I happened to be there uh, there to show him the the city. And he was like really, really energetic. He convinced me to get on a call like once a month in order like to discuss what he was he was going to do with his future. He was really interested in financial inclusion as well. So we were like getting on this monthly talk, and eventually we realized that. Uh, it was not that people didn't know the importance of saving money and getting credit, but it, they were like doing it already with these Rosca groups and we decided to like start working on Pasanaku. As I said at the beginning, I was coding the app and Ignacio, Ignacio was helping me with all of the things that you need to do in place. So like with the interviews or with, I don't, I don't know, the legal stuff in Bolivia, like talking to partners. And then eventually I realized that we needed to bring someone else in bo uh, on board. Um, I I was about to do the, the MBA, so I wanted to focus more on the on the managerial side of the business, on the strategic side of the business, and we needed a CTO. And then I asked myself, like, which are the three best coders in Bolivia that I know? And I'm just gonna like pitch them the idea and see and see if one of them wanna like get some work in, in, into like this project. And then uh, Johnny, uh, we went to the to high school together, so we asked. I mean, I know Johnny since I was like 
10 years old, but we never, we were never like really good friends. I know we were, we were in the same like uh, school and everything. And just because of that, I had him on like my social media and ever since every once in a while, I was looking at Johnny, like doing conferences, like uh, working in different countries, like uh, talking about artificial intelligence, talking about coding. And so he was one of the three people in my, on my list. And as soon as I pitched this idea to Johnny, he didn't even like tell me, like, I, I need to think about it and um, let, let, let me get back to you. But he was like, yeah, I really love the idea. I really think that we can have a big impact here. I would love to like join you as CTO. So that's how Johnny joined the joined our team. And then uh, when we were like slowly growing, we were starting to fundraise. We all realized that we needed like a COO, like, Full time on the on the business because as I said, uh, Ignacio was still doing his undergrad, so he couldn't like work full time for for us. And then we we hired people. We decided to hire one person. We we hired Yara. And after like two or three months that Yara was on the team, we realized that I mean she was really like really good at the job. And she was able like to do from marketing to even like understanding like coding. Uh, go to talk to people so we realized that we needed to like bring it on bring her on board we needed like to give her something that will make her like be committed to this project like long term so we decided to like make her late co-founder um yeah uh, it's been a, a great a, a great idea with um so good with yara uh, and then you asked me to to mention something that is really good um something that is really important from each one of them I would say like Ignacio is really energetic. I mean, he's the one who like has, brings all of this positivity to the team. And he's able to like go talk to a user, go talk to a partner, go talk to our competitor. So he's really good at like just talking to people. And that's, that's really awesome. Johnny, Johnny, uh, he brings like so many ideas, not only on, on the IT side, but he's always thinking about how we can improve our relationships with our employees. He like bring uh, like sending us podcasts, like analyzing what we are doing on the week on the weekly meeting, what we are doing on the strategic meeting. So he's really good at it, and everyone loves Johnny. So we are just learning from him how to become better leaders, and um, myself included. And Yara, Yara, I don't know how much uh, how, but she's able like to have so many things on her head at the same time. So she basically like knows what everyone in the team is doing. And um, I can be like pretty, pretty confident that everything is gonna be okay with Yara and I can just like focus on the strategic side of the business. So I feel like it's a great combination of different talents that makes the um, my team one of the best, if not the best that I've ever worked with. What I liked about that story is um, thanks for sharing. And I hope, you know, it's always great to, to do these shout outs because these, these businesses don't get built alone. Um, but something that I loved about that story was this question around um, who were you talking with, right, about the topics that mattered to you. And you in those early days, it was Ignacio and it was Johnny. Uh, and obviously, yes, Yara has become so important. But in the very, very early days, you were having these conversations repeatedly about ideas, big ideas. And for early stage founders who are thinking, who am I, who should I start a business with? Right. It's the age old question. And, and I don't know the right answer and accelerators try to figure out the right answer and what's the right balance and, and what skills do you need and who's going to be which role? All of those things have their place, but a simpler way to look at it is who am I talking to the most and who do I trust? 
and and maybe that's who you start a business with and you were talking with ignacio you're talking with johnny and you trusted their insight you admired them i mean it's clear how much yeah. you admire your co-founders and that's the group and, that and you, you were successful with that that uh, even though we knew that we wanted to work together i mean since day one we trusted uh, co-founders agreement so since day one hmm. we knew what ignacio was going to be doing and what i was going to be working on and same thing with johnny and with yara so we knew that we were committed and what we needed to bring into the business so i think that was really important as well since the beginning so did you in your case you you wrote like a co-founder agreement with each other like what areas you're going yeah. to focus on that's a great even when trick. pasanaki was not even like a legal institution in bolivia we already have like this document like stating uh, that we were co-founders and that we were coming to an agreement together that's wonderful that's wonderful well let's let's jump around because I'm, I'm conscious of the time but um so let's let's talk about money we talked about co-founders let's talk about money um one of my one of my favorite quotes of yours you know i love this quote is uh you always get asked as a co as a, as a founder of a business you know about early stage at least you get asked about the, the raising money and typically the answer is you know i had to go through a lot of no's uh, but what I loved about one of the interviews I, that I've read on you is that you had exact the exact number of no's that you went through in order to receive 15 yeses. Do you remember this? So how many how many no's yeah. did you have to go through to get to 15 investors? <laughs> so I talked to 77 people in total. <laughs> and I still have like in my list of all the people that told me that, I don't know, for some one X or Y reason, they were not going to invest in on us. So 77. I, really tough, I mean, because um, I'm telling you like, 15 people out of 77 people uh, invested on us, but the first 40 people were like, probably like 38 people telling me no and two people telling me yes. So at the beginning it was even like harder, but yeah, it was a hard process and you get to, you get used to like being rejected and you just like need to like keep working on it and just keep having faith on what we, you are building. 77 to 15 but you said it was 38 to 2 right so you had two two yeses yeah. for a small amount of angel funding in that first uh, angel pre-seed round and uh, had 38 no's that you went through so 38 no's that basically said yeah i don't see this having any you know i don't mm -hmm. i don't want to invest in this i don't think this is going to work i mean it's it's i loved that story because it was the exact number diego is a very precise person uh for those on the pod that don't know him but 77 to 15 it's just a it's a great ratio uh so a lot, a lot of no's is the point and then i mean since since you raised um something something i went and looked at is is you know we talked about the global footprint of um rotating savings and credit associations these roskers and um, we looked at you know they're in nigeria they're in egypt they're in indonesia they're in southeast asia and vietnam and philippines and in, 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 they're obviously all over latin america as well they're in east africa so they're in all of these emerging markets that that, that we typically look at on the one take vc podcast um but two examples that came to mind were um uh, money fellows and mapan so money fellows is in egypt uh, mapan's in indonesia uh, there's some similarity between those markets and the, and the Latin American market in terms of like macro level indicators and also, you know, per capita income and population and growth and all of these things. Um, and so they're, they're interesting to look at to see like what's working in those markets and what's working in, in our market. Um, and clearly, when you look at those examples, Roscas are really exciting to, to investors, to venture capitalists. And, and there's, there's evidence that, the, you know, these, this digitizing Roscas approach has validation in these other markets. So 
uh, just because Diego yeah. Diego knows these examples. But uh, the two examples I brought up, Money Fellows in Egypt, that they started in, uh, I think, in 2009. Uh, and then they raised uh, 31 million last year in their Series B. And they're, they're rapidly, uh, rapidly growing. Mapan in Indonesia started in 2014, I think. Uh, and then last year they raised 15 million in their Series A, and both of their these ventures focus on digitizing Roscas. They have they have some similarity to the Pasanaku model. Uh, they raised similar amounts of angel funding and pre-seed as Pasanaku in the first couple of years of their operations. They got their product market fit in those first couple of years, maybe two or three years. So in this period that you're in right now, trying to figure out your partnerships, trying to figure out your your end customer. Uh, but there's real validation, right? And there's there's a lot of interest in in digitizing Ruskas. Yeah, totally. And actually, when we look at one of these news that says that I don't know X startup is doing Rosca and they are raising like two or three million, that's something very good to us. It's exciting. Because we're really yeah. happy, as you said, that yeah, uh, someone has that investors have looked at are seeing real value in what we are building, and that's really good because a lot of these startups who are do, uh, working with Rosca, they are working with like middle and low income people. That's the people who use Rosca to save money. So it means that they are helping these people get access to a better quality of life. And we're actually, we're pretty good friends with the companies that is doing Rosca in, in the UK. We are we like always get together and we like even like share what we are working on because yeah, it's really exciting. We are working in different regions and there are uh, for sure like different learners that we can get from other, what other startups on the on 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 this sector are, are doing and just recently for example like i think one month ago sequoia decided to to invest in a really early stage uh, startup in the us who are also using rosca as a way of like wow. getting financial inclusion into 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 people in in america in general yeah, you're getting you're getting this interest from pretty high profile venture capitalists, and and what's great to see with Money Fellows and Mapan is this this trajectory from the first couple of years, similar angel rounds that you've had because you've raised your your pre seed your angel, similar rounds, couple of years to find that product market fit, and then their series their their seed round, and then now onto you know Series A and Series B, and seeing where the markets were in 2009 in Egypt and 2014 in Indonesia, and kind of mapping that to the Bolivian, Peru, Mexico, Brazil, these these markets that you're looking at, kind of mapping where the markets were and what the product market fit looked like in these different markets is a way to think about what is my what does my next step look like? Um, and I guess yeah. I'm conscious of the time, there's two final questions for me. I mean, I've been thinking a lot recently about these smaller markets and obviously what the population of, of, of Bolivia is, you said 12 million, 13, 14, something like yeah. that. Um, so. Not not the biggest market in Latin America, but the place that you're starting. And so my first question is around, you know, are there examples that you've looked at of successful entrepreneurs coming out of that market? Because I think our heroes and our examples are typically very local because they speak to our culture, to your point around trust, they speak to our culture. So is there someone that you've really looked to to get inspiration from with respect to being a Bolivian entrepreneur? And then the second question is around what's next for Pasanaku? That's that's kind of where we'll end. But um, same, same thing in mind, looking at the past, who inspired you and then looking to the future, uh, what's next for the company? Amazing. So for the first question, someone who's really inspiring to, I will say most, if not all of entrepreneurs in Bolivia is Marcelo Claure. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard of Marcelo Claure, uh, I'm pretty sure that some of you have heard of him because he's pretty famous. He might be the most famous Bolivian, but he, he moved to the, he's Bolivian. He moved to the U.S. because he wanted like to, 
to start a business there. He wanted like to see how 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 big he could get in the in the U.S. like the American dream, right? And then he founded the company, which is was called Brightstar. That then it was sold to Sprint, and he became the CEO of Sprint. He he was also eventually like the CEO of SoftBank, and he was like the president of the board of director of of WeWork. Uh, so he's he's really famous. He has done like really really amazing things. But what I like and what I admire about him the most is that he, even though he has been living abroad in the U.S. for the last 20 years, he never forgot about Bolivia. And he was one of the persons who supports the entrepreneurial ecosystem the most in Bolivia. He has been like really connected to a football club in Bolivia because he loves, uh, he loves football. But he has also been like talking to all of the big entrepreneurs in Bolivia in order to understand how he can like foster entrepreneurship in Bolivia and how he can like help these entrepreneurs like grow and think about scaling to the rest of the region. So it's, I really admire uh, Marcelo because he he's like well known all around the world and because he never forgot about Bolivia, about his origins, and because he's also like really, really proud of, about being Bolivian. And I mean, so, second... so, so then using that inspiration, Diego, looking at Marcelo, looking at that trajectory, how does Diego uh, see the future for for, for himself? <laughs> Where, where's where's next for where's next for Pasanaku? So we are fundraising again. The idea of this next round is gonna be to help us expand into the Mexican market, which is the largest market for Rosca in Latin America. And so what we think we're gonna be doing during the next two or three years is is that we're still gonna be working on finding product market fit, as you said. Uh, we will still be in Bolivia and Peru and we want to go to Mexico and then we're going to see which other countries we can go to. But the thing is that we still have so many more things to, to work on on Pasanacu. As I said at the beginning, we are like pilots and different, different stuff, but eventually we want to become a digital bank that is able to offer users not only the possibility to, to manage the roster group, but also the possibility to like open a bank account with us or invest with us or get access to life, life insurance with us. So it's a really, really big project. I've seen that we have at least like 50 million people in Latin America to reach out. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be like really exciting. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm about to finish my MBA at Oxford um, June this year. And I'm really, really looking forward to go back to Latin America after seven years and continue working on this project that my whole team believes is going to like change a lot of people's lives. Okay, wonderful. Watch this space. That's a good place to end. So, uh, Diego, looking forward to you, looking forward to having you on again. Let's say in in a year to hear how that goes after the fundraise and uh, seeing the growth in in Bolivia and Peru, and then looking forward to Mexico as well. I know that you're part of an accelerator there. That's your main focus, biggest market in the region. Yeah. So, really excited to see what happens in the next twelve months. And uh, thanks so much for coming on, telling the story of Pasanaku, and also your personal story and talking about your your, your co-founders talking about you know digitizing and bringing a data layer to traditional practices meeting customers where they are listening to the customer building to the customer and uh, and also drawing this parallel between you know what's happening some of these other markets to what's happening in the latin american market really excited to see what happens with panasanaku pasanaku i knew i was going to pronounce it wrong at one point see i promised you that it would pasanaku so really excited to hear and uh, looking forward to having you back onto the podcast Thanks, Mike. We'll, we, we, we'll be waiting for you in our brand new office in Mexico one year from now. Oh, wonderful. I'll come visit. Sounds good. We'll do an in-person interview. All right. Thank you very much, Diego.